Hi, and welcome to Is It My ADHD, the podcast about what it really feels like to have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I'm Grace Timothy, and I'm a writer, and I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD until I was 37. I'd struggled with traits I now know to be ADHD all my life, but it wasn't until a routine hearing appointment with a doctor who happened to have ADHD himself that these traits were pieced together and it was suggested that I get referred for an assessment. Had it not been for that random moment with an audiologist, I'd still be undiagnosed now and still struggling, just like the two million women thought to have undiagnosed ADHD in the UK today. I want to better understand what ADHD feels like for women and non-binary people, in whom ADHD is so often missed, thanks to the fact that the diagnostic criteria and research is all heavily skewed to the white male case study. I've therefore spoken to some incredible women about how ADHD affects their lives, exploring everything from friendship and work to dating and self-esteem. I've also pulled in some experts along the way to help us tackle the big questions from you and from my guests. Is it my ADHD when I ghost old friends, for example? Is it my ADHD when I break the photocopier at work? And is it my ADHD when I share nudes on Instagram? My hope is that we can spread awareness of ADHD in women and non-binary people, and that you'll find some comfort in knowing you're far from being alone. Because with the right support, we can be truly amazing. In this episode, we're going to dive into dating with ADHD and all the big questions. Does ADHD mess with your sex drive? Does it change the way you date? Is it the ultimate clit or cock block? I'm discussing these frankly terrifying prospects with columnist and fashion icon Stacey Duguid. Dating can be a mixed bag for those with ADHD. Apart from the fact that we are obviously fun and spontaneous, the old rejection sensitivity disorder is a motherfucker. Low self-esteem, emotional lability, boredom even, which can cut things short. Inattentiveness and hyperactivity can be a buzzkill. And then there's the impulsivity, which on a good night can look like sexy spontaneity, and on a bad one, making very bad choices. Cheating, maybe, or getting it on with someone who's just awful. At worst, we might miss the red flags and just plough on because we're not paying attention. We're basically driving at 100 miles an hour, and the thrill of the new is overriding any second thoughts we might have. I'm a cis-het woman, so I've previously based my sense of self-worth on some pretty shitty men. But other intersections can lead to some far more dangerous scenarios. For example, those who were assigned male at birth. It's yet another reason diagnosis is so important. Stacey's dating stories have always had me captivated, from her secret days as the Mademoiselle columnist at Elle magazine, to her recent re-entry into the world of dating as a columnist for The Telegraph. This year, she was diagnosed with ADHD around the same time as me. Stacey, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Grace. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. And and for your amazing Times article, which we've all just been reading. Ah, yes. Absolutely brilliant. And I think, obviously, looking at the comments uh, on your Instagram and stuff, that it's just Mm. stirred up so many things for so many people. Yeah. I I just want to caveat this podcast with, I'm on day six of no sleep. Hi, everyone. Uh, (laughs) In case I suddenly sound like a man or just go off on some random thoughts. But there we go. I'm going to blame it on my tiredness combined with ADHD. Um, I was going to say, they, the two together are magic. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, they do go together as well, which we'll mm. get into. Um, the article was amazing to write. I felt a huge sense of responsibility. And actually, you yourself, Grace, were incredibly helpful. Um, you opened my eyes to a lot of other issues that I hadn't considered, such as so the socioeconomics around diagnosis, um, gender, race, etc. 
And we had a really kind of deep dive into that, you and I, and it was really eye-opening because it's really, when you're diagnosed with ADHD, it's quite, well, in the first few months, certainly for me, I just went so into my own experience and I hadn't really considered everyone else's. But from my own experience, you know, the diagnosis, it came after three, I've been in therapy for three years. Um, I'm going into, this is my fourth year, 2022, with the same therapist. I'm seeing her today at five o'clock. And it was actually my therapist who suggested I go and seek diagnosis because I kept forgetting my therapy time when I left my full-time job and I didn't have a diary to sort of guide me. And I had this sort of sudden time blindness, um, as Gabor Maté describes it in his book, Scattered Minds. Um, Time blindness being, I had no structure to my day. I didn't have, you know, the, uh, what is that? I think I've actually blocked it out from PTSD. What is it called? Teams. I didn't have Mm -hmm. teams sort of blinking away in the background. And I I think it was three or four weeks in a row, I forgot my um, therapy session. And she said, I think perhaps she should see um, a psychiatrist. And it really was the beginning of a huge, well, I'm, I, I mean, I really am only just at the beginning of this um, sort of revelation. You know, it's, it's made so much sense of my life. So we are both rabid um, oversharers, which I think obviously for editors has been a dream because we just go there. Um, do you rein that in around you know potential lovers new people that you haven't met before or is that do you think part of your charm well um i've been so single uh for just short of two years now and the telegraph column started in april 21 um it's a difficult one because with adhd you tend to be very impulsive and in the last two years i have acted impulsively around dating and dating apps. Dating apps are have been terrible for my ADHD brain. I have just switched between Raya, which is a invitation only. I mean, believe me, I get no hits on Raya because I'm not 25, <laughs> working in bikini, bent over double over a snooker table and, you know, snogging, I don't know, just an influence. I'm just not an, I'm not, I'm just not a Raya type of girl. Inner circle, hinge, what's the other one? Bumble, I was on them all. And it's a bit like, you know, you swap one addiction for the other. So mm. if it's not being on Instagram all night or Twitter all night, you're on dating apps all night, you switch from one to the other, one to the other, dopamine hit, dopamine hit, one to the other. And yes, I do, I have found myself within this kind of early days, by the way, early days dating, oversharing too quickly. And so so the early days, obviously, you know, early days, I, I count as two years ago, I wasn't writing the dating um column and so people sort of just took me at face value as oh this woman is just a bit of an oversharer I'd go on my dates and sort of tell them all about my marriage and what happened and Jesus that's really unsexy by the way um (laughs) and before you know it like you're just basically telling them your entire life story and and through I've spoken openly about this I am on medication and the medication has helped level out my dopamine which is simply to the the hit factor is has lessened so I don't tend to overshare on a date anymore but it was really bad and the sex you know you just sort of dive in and it's sort of all or nothing I'm all in or I'm all out which by the way can be incredibly alluring so when you're Mm. all in and then you're suddenly all out I describe it to my therapist as like jumping into a deep swimming pool with a guy we're both like we're having the best swim and then suddenly I look at him like 
oh, you're not what I imagined you to be, because by the way, I've made it all up in my mind. And, oh, you're nothing like that. This is like, a, this could be a two week period. Mm. And I jump out the pool and I leave them drowning. And then suddenly they're like, so confused. What happened? She was all in. She told me her life story. We had this amazing sex, which, you know, when you're, I don't know if it's just ADHD, but when you're sort of impulsive and you're looking for instant gratification, you're quite performative. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I, please don't let my mother hear this. You're quite performative <laughs> in the bedroom. And I've told girlfriends that they've laughed and laughed, going, what, you wear white gloves and do a mime act, you know? <laughs> no, it's like, I don't give a shit. So I'm just going to show you all the moves. And that's also very alluring for a man. And then mm-hmm. suddenly you're like not answering their calls because you're bored and you're off. Um, yeah, so it has, in the early days of leaving a marriage, it had really affected how I date. And since the diagnosis and since taking medication and since being able to really think about why do I need this instant gratification, this kind of instant, you know, fix and hit of, it's almost like I allowed people to love on me because it felt so seductive and felt instantly gratifying. But Mm. now I don't do that anymore. That's amazing. That's a huge huge thing isn't it to break that cycle I I don't think I have broken the cycle I I am very very aware of this behavior and and aware of what I do and I'm on the lookout for it I will probably head towards it again but I will have to keep myself very much in check so it's like it's almost like having your guard up and working on your boundaries boundary control is something I work on every week in my therapy and that's boundaries in love it's boundaries with my children, it's boundaries with colleagues, it's boundaries left, right and centre, and it's part and parcel of this oversharing. Do you, I mean, what do you find with boundaries? Do you think this sort of lack of boundaries is an ADHD issue? I do, because I think if you have your guard up, then it's much harder to get that dopamine hit because there's mm. literal fences around you. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you just lay all that out... And you just, I, I imagine myself as this like ball of fire that just rolls around everywhere, leaving little trails of like, basically like a wildfire is, is in my wake. And what the awareness does is to either fence that in a little bit and that's, that's what lovely. boundaries are for mm. me or, or it's water and it's literally putting it out. But I, I think I'm I'm hard and fast with my boundaries, so I won't have any. It's like j- jumping in that pool with whether mm-hmm. that's, doesn't have to be a sexual relationship. I think that's a friendship thing as well. And, and a professional thing. I do it with colleagues. And then suddenly I'm like, whoa, it's too much or I'm bored or I'm just not interested yeah. anymore in this dynamic. So I'm just going to put a boundary up and tell you, like, I can't, I don't want to hang out this week because actually I'm just, you know, I'm doing my own thing. And like you say, for pe- for any people, that's like, what? Wait, so whiplash. Yeah, completely. But I think what's <laughs> what's really interesting is this performative thing because... I, I, for me, so I, I got married really young. I was, I was 26 when I got married. So my dating life was fairly brief. But the main characteristic was, I can look back now and think I was just after the dopamine. And it happened to be, you know, penis shaped. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's not a healthy way to be, is it? But it's also really fun. And I think I, I never had the had access to any dating apps, obviously, in the in the early 2000s. But I imagine it's like how I am with shopping. Mm. It's like that impulsivity and this like menu of dopamine options that you just, woohoo, let's go. Absolutely. And actually what I've discovered in the two years of being single is that if you don't have, if you're sort of constantly 
if you're not checking in with yourself, let's put it like that, if you're not constantly checking in with yourself, which I wasn't in the early days of being single, 2020, 2020 um, what happens is you become fair game for narcissists. Mm. And ADHD women are literal fresh meat for narcissists. Because we're impulsive and boundary free, they can just take us on a journey with them. And it's happened to me twice. And this is the other work that I'm doing in my therapy. And I had four dates with someone at the end of last year. And I decided to back away from it because I, well, I explained to him about the narcissistic, well, the attraction of narcissists to me and that I, I essentially found them smothering me. I describe it as they put a cloak, they, they love on me. And I'm sort of dopamine hit, dopamine hit. Oh my God, they love me, they love me, they love me. And there's a lot of kind of feeling of, you know, fake sense of security with it. And then I suddenly wake up and I find like I've, I'm almost like drowning, like I can't breathe. And I describe it as wearing like this heavy cape and they've almost like captured me like a baddie in Batman. And they've, they've caught me with this cape and I'm smothered inside it. And... I described this feeling to my therapist and it was almost like I could, I was, I was captured in this cave and I couldn't breathe. And then they shoved me down this fast moving slide. I'm very visual. And I was out of control, going down this slide, unable to breathe. And I had a panic attack in my therapy. And I lived, I had to put both of my feet. I have to be very careful talking about it as well. I had to place both my feet on the ground deep breathe and I had a full panic attack for 30 minutes and I realized this is something I've been doing my whole life allowing not I, listen I'm not saying that everyone I come into contact with is a narcissist I've just had a bad run of two you know one two consecutive um one after the other narcissist relationships but I'm saying that because I don't have any boundary control and because I'm very impulsive, I've allowed situations to make me feel like that. So it was just an example within my dating life that I could have been applied to everything. Um, you mentioned shopping. You know, I ran up terrible debts shopping. But prior to the medication, even last year, I was popping things in my virtual shopping basket on Letter Porter, slipping things in. Oh, I could sort of justify it in my mind of why I needed the sunglasses, little things, little things that added up. I'm a single parent now. So everything I have, I earn and I have to earn for myself. And so it's really, I mean, I'm so grateful that the medication for me works because it's, it's leveled me out. And so I'm not, so this is, I deleted all the dating apps. I'm not sporadically shopping for stuff I don't need. But this sort of, you know, going back to dating and the, the boundary control and being very attractive to narcissists. I'm sort of grateful that happened because they were very short-lived relationships. I was able, because I've been in therapy the same with the same therapist for three years, I was able to take that to therapy and really discuss it and to you know do a deep dive into it and recognize where else that apply has applied or still applies to my life. And then I'm now on high alert for it. I'm so excited to announce that this podcast is sponsored by the first makeup brand I ever bought as a teenager, Benefit Cosmetics. I saved up for Benetint for weeks, and that love remained strong when I became a beauty editor years later. Roller Lash is my absolute favourite mascara of all time. Gimme Brow Plus and Precisely My Brow are my go-to brow products, and I still use Benetint on the daily. 
Makeup is something I reach for to give myself a moment to ground, to breathe and be in my own thoughts for a minute, just like my own personal form of meditation that happens to help make me feel fierce. Benefit has remained a mainstay in my own routine for more reasons than one. I love the way Benefit connects customers with amazing causes and today is amplifying various voices around neurodivergence. I'll be working with Benefit, not just on the podcast, but they've also asked me to explore how the Benefit counter experience can be more accessible to those with brains a bit like mine. I'll be sharing the ways we're working together and would love to hear your thoughts on this too. I still can't believe I'm launching Is It My ADHD with my OG beauty obsession at the heart. So I, I think boredom seems to be one of, I find that the most offensive part of any kind of dialogue around ADHD, because I think well, that's really unfair. I'm not like a fly-by-night friend, you know, uh, partner, all of those things. But it's so true, isn't it, that the new, the thrill of the new kind of overrides so many other instincts. Oh, my God. You know, out there dating. It's horrendous. The thrill mm. of the new is absolutely crippling. And it, and it crosses everything, you know, that's, you know, the shopping addiction, the, the new dress, the new sunglasses, you know, the new lover. And, and actually, you know, and it's so intense. The feelings are so intense. And I've always loved the thrill of the chase and being chased. And I, I had an experience recently where there was this very thrilling connection that happened. We had a snog and it was, I almost said to him, right, what are you doing tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow? And what are you doing tomorrow night? And then what are you doing the day after in the morning? And then, you know, and it was like, okay, so let's just do this full on, full time. Let's just do it. And and then I, I, I had to check myself because, you know, this boundary control is being very kind of vigilant around my behavior now, which I'm ever so proud of, by the way. I feel yeah. so grown up. <laughs> oh my God. Everyone's like, oh, geez, that's just being normal. Um, no, this, I stopped myself. I stopped myself. And I stopped that sort of constant that I could feel the old creeping behavior at the edges of my being. I could feel like instant gratification, instant hit. And I had to stop myself. And I didn't see that person for a week and then saw them again. I know a whole week. Grace, can you imagine? Seven days. That's a lot. Particularly if you're not sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And then um, and then went on a date and it was so much better. That's mega. So, because I feel like, yes, we'll, uh, with everything that ADHD affects in your life, you still will have those behaviours because this isn't going to go away. And I think even with medication, from what I can gather, you know, you'll still have the impulses. So maybe this awareness is about rather than realising afterwards that you've done something, it's realising as it approaches and begins that this is something that you need to be aware of, right? Yeah, absolutely. And actually... So what you have to do, what you have to do, who am I to tell you what you have to do? What I've had to do is I've had to sit with the discomfort. Mm. Do you know how horrible that is? It is absolutely mind-blowing to sit with that discomfort, which feels like for someone with an ADHD diagnosis, feels like you've been stripped bare of all your skin and and the whole world is looking at you and stabbing you with pins. It is the most uncomfortable feeling. The thing is, though, it's because... It's not just it's not just your fault. It's also the people that have conditioned you to think, well, if you like me and you should like me instantly, because that's what we're led to believe is, is you know, genuine feeling, then you should want to see me every five seconds. And <laughs> it should be me saying, well, hang on, let's be sensible and all that. And that's crap. Like this person is creating an amazing 
healthy beginning mm. to something that that will sort of grow organically rather than being like you're in you're married you're, that's it you're done kind of thing um but it is i mean adhd obviously makes the acceptance of that i think so much harder i mean maybe you could have a point there i mean maybe that's just how we're all programmed you know conditioned as you say yeah but perhaps it's more the sort of discomfort of having to sit with that feeling of it was it felt like rejection mm, and it wasn't yeah. and it wasn't rejection at all and the dating apps i think the dating apps allow you it's almost like having a menu of men right mm. now if i have a menu of men if i have say 10 conversations going on at the same time i'm never going to feel let down because what will happen is i'll go from that person to that person to that person and i won't allow myself to feel deflated rejected unloved or any feelings of guilt or shame or anything. And by having sort of a menu of 10 men on the go, it's really easy because everyone's held at arm's length. And then I don't allow myself to get into the jumping into the swimming pool scenario, which I did two years ago. But then you're never really getting anywhere near the pool. You know, you're not even emotionally open or allowing yourself to be open. So what I did before Christmas was I decided that that was it. I was never going to meet anybody. That was it. it was, so it's much easier to do black and white mm. rather than anything in between. So I just decided that I was not unlovable because I no longer believe that. I always believed I was unlovable and that wasn't worth, worth it. My self-esteem, despite the kind of, you know, I'm sort of contradicting myself because I'm saying on one hand, you know, I've allowed myself to become objectified and play into the roles of kind of you know how women should be perceived especially in this business you know I've always watched my weight I've always been obsessed with wearing the right clothes but in the same side uh, in the same breath rather I've never felt truly worth it truly worthwhile my self-belief and my lack of self-esteem has been always on the floor so when you have such low self-esteem, what's brilliant about having 10 men on a dating app menu is your sort of deep-rooted sense of, I'm not good enough. Well, you never really tap into that because no one, you don't allow anyone to get that close to you. But I deleted all of the apps and I realized they were not serving me emotionally. I realized that I was just flicking from one thing to another and I actually was able to talk to my therapist about what it was I was looking for. And it was a bit of a breakthrough. And it was, I realized I was looking for a savior to this rescuer. And I realized how frightened I'd been leaving my marriage and leaving a fairly steady and stable relationship. I'm not crying, Grace. I actually just have something in my eye. Uh, <laughs> I, welcome. I, it was... <laughs> It was a really difficult decision to leave that marriage. And I think fear has driven a lot of my dating behavior. I was looking to replace this comfortable, cozy family life that I had for 10 years. But I was doing it in sort of such a fucked up way, you know, almost sort of not allowing myself to let anybody close to me, but looking around and thinking, okay, what is it I was missing and what is it that I need and what is it that serves, might serve its purpose for now? And I got into a couple of relationships that were um, sort of eight weeks long and they didn't serve me. And the, these were the two narcissists. And I realized that actually 
that it was just this old behaviour on loop. And by deleting the dating apps, I've allowed myself some headspace. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, my ADHD, I have to remember not to be too self-involved with it because I'm like, it's it's all about me and the way that I behave and this is why it happens and everything. And, and I obviously look at how that affects other people, but I don't think about what they're bringing to the table. So when you go out as a, as a woman in the dating world and you're aware that you have ADHD and that's impacting your behaviours, you're also meeting Joe Bloggs, who is a narcissist or it you know might have some be somewhere on the autistic spectrum or might have PTSD and and trauma related issues like how 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 do we navigate that it's um good god i fully there was a crib sheet to how to navigate that oh, right. you do you know what the, the 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 honest answer is you don't jump into the pool with them straight away mm. you don't go into you don't have a sexual relationship immediately um you remember when we were kids like, i know you're married from the age of 26 but i met my husband when i my ex-husband when I was 34 so I had a lot of dating time I had a lot of single time I had a lot of like you know sexual adventure we could call it or we could also call it self-sabotage I had <laughs> some terrible situations yeah really shitty um and some terrible relationships and I suppose what it is it's a learning you have to look out for the flags but also there are some flags that you can just deal with mm. like yes people have trauma we all come to the table with trauma it doesn't mean to say that that trauma is unmanageable. It's more that when that trauma mirrors your trauma, it's, mm. it's called a narcissistic mirror. Um, you know, your abandonment or when your trauma sort of, it almost becomes like a codependent relationship. I think you become with ADHD, you know, with my diagnosis, I've worked fucking hard on myself is the true answer. I've worked really hard on myself. I'm going to year four of therapy and I think I've done the work and I'm still doing the work and it really pisses me off actually when people don't do the work. I've got girlfriends who are like, oh, I just keep repeating these behaviors. Get to therapy. Find out why you're doing this. Why are you doing this? I'm not saying everyone needs to have a diagnosis or be on meds, but actually to dig deeper into why you're doing this. And this is the same with when you're meeting new people. Everybody's fallible. Everybody has, you know, their childhood stuff. Everybody, especially when you've been through a divorce, you come with so much pain and trauma. If that person has enough insight to be able to discuss it in a way or talk about it in a way or work through it in a way with you, is for me crucial to any sort of future relationship. Has someone had a difficult childhood? Does someone come with trauma from abuse? That for me is not a red flag. The red flag is when they have not dealt with it or mm. they're not, you know, they bring it to the table and allow you to deal with it. So almost you know, packaging up neatly for you to deal with, which is something I've done a lot of in my life, like taken on other people's trauma deep within my heart, feeling it deeply as if it happened to me and and almost dealing with it on their behalf. And I've done this with friendships too. That's a big ADHD thing though, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Feeling other people's. It's, I read somewhere that, that it's it's rare to be an empath with ADHD. And I'm like, all the people I know, myself included, who have ADHD are massive empaths to the point of physical pain on other people's misfortune and, and you know discomfort and stuff actually feeling other people's pain I read it in this I mean I I know you're well way more well read on ADHD mm -hmm. than I am Grace no, no, I'm sure and you have you are you just are and I've sort of still feeling my way through it but I have read because of course I can't read a whole book that would be weird parts yeah. of let's say I'm being ADHD don't watch ever don't watch a film 
all the way through and don't read a book in its entirety. Why would you? That would be boring. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, there is a section in um, Gabor Mate's Scattered Minds where he describes this feeling of uh, watching a car crash. I think it's he's talking about himself or a client. I can't remember. Sorry. But let's just visualize this. Watching a car crash or watching someone get mugged or watching, you know, something very unjust happening and feeling as if it were happening to you. Mm-hmm. And that has happened to me my whole life. So when I experience a friend going through trauma in their relationship, I almost feel like it's happening to me. And it's like, I can't breathe. I can't catch my breath. But so applying that to dating, someone I dated told me a horrific story about childhood abuse, sexual abuse. And I was able through knowing that I do this, I was able almost to put up uh, a screen in front of me, not not to block uh, what they were saying and not to sort of not empathize, but so that I didn't, it didn't leak into my entire being and for it to feel like it's happened to me. And that sounds weird unless you've experienced it. But it was actually, for me, what was amazing was that he dealt with it. He dealt with it in therapy. And he maybe that was it, actually. He, he was describing it as something that he had dealt with that happened to him that he had dealt with and the steps that he, and how he had dealt with it. But if he hadn't dealt with it, and if he just told me this story and sort of almost like passed the parcel, passed it on to me, passed his trauma on to me, that would be a red flag. And for you so, to fix, right? So yeah, okay, for me to fix. You're in that position, yeah. And for me to fix, which you know, I don't know how it is to be an empath, but I know how it is to have ADHD, ADHD, and and allow yourself to take on other people's troubles and trauma, and almost mm-hmm. feel like you have to solve problem solve it for them, alongside problem solving all your own crap. So mm-hmm. those are the red flags. People dealing with their stuff or not dealing with their stuff, rather. And expecting you to deal with them. And expecting me to deal with them. Um, I want to talk briefly before we finish um, about sex, because you immediately opened with the fact that, you, you know, it can be a highly performative thing. So I obviously, as I say, I got married when I was 26. We were in a relationship from when I was like 21, 22. But before that, oh, I don't even know how to put it. <laughs> like you move a lot, right? And when you're, mm. when you're like 18, 19, 20... I think that there's like a, a lot of your cohorts might be quite nervous about sex and quite self-conscious and all that sort of stuff. I now look back and think I was not and I can never work out why. I just thought, mm. am I arrogant? Like, do I think I'm better than everyone else? And therefore, like, I'm fabulous and you're going to love it, whatever mm. it is. But just always on the move, which obviously mm. as an 18, 19 year old boy as well is very attractive because mm. you don't really know what you're doing yet. I I think it made me fucking amazing you say you're a good shag grace is that what you're saying you're a good shag I really no I, I was a good shag <laughs> Stacey I think yeah I think I was I was hunting the dopamine and it makes you very fast it makes you very imaginative and spontaneous and all those things mm. um have you found that it has only positively impacted the way that you have sex and the way that you enjoy sex or is there an element of that that sort of object again where you're kind of masking mm. the true the nature of everything yeah I think the object thing is a really interesting one. My therapist actually came up with it because she, we were talking about this four-day date guy and how I had been uncomfortable about some of the things he'd said. And she said, she, she described it as this objectification and actually how I was playing into it. And I think that's a really interesting point because 
I feel like, yes, that's probably been my younger years. And then sort of couple that with a crippling lack of, you know, sense of Mm self-worth. It's a recipe for disaster. You know, you're not doing it in a kind of sensual, confident way. You're doing it in a, wow, look at me. Look at me. Hey, look at me, everyone. Look at me. I'm fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm fabulous, but I'm going to act like I am. So that was younger years. And I stepped around a bit. I did crazy stuff. You know, I experimented with all sorts of things you shouldn't experiment with. Um, I did a lot of dance floor, you know, night clubbing, not sex on dance floors, just to say. (laughs) I've never done that. That's on my bucket list, people. 2022, here we come. Uh, But I've done a, you know, there was a lot of, I suppose, like sex on too much rock and roll, you know, out of your mind, Mm. which actually doesn't count because you don't remember it much, much younger years. And then I went into this very kind of almost like Presbyterian marriage because it's so funny. It's like black and black or white. You know, I married this wonderful, deeply intelligent, gentle, kind man. And all of that went, I didn't, none of that, that was no longer me. It's almost like in my early days of therapy, she said, why do you have to give up a side of you? And I'm not saying that the promiscuous off her head girl is a side of me, but I am, there is a part of me that I've rediscovered her, side note, see Mm. New Year's Eve for details. Um, I've rediscovered (laughs) this kind of wilder woman Mm. that I am, just am. It is who I am. But I sort of packaged her away. I put her away in a box. Because if I were, if I was the wild woman, I also couldn't be a wife or a mother. And I couldn't be all that stuff that I wanted to be. And that's just no, not true. It's so black and white. So, you know, you're binary, you're one thing or the other. So I denied myself of that part of me for 10 years. And that part of me, you know, being the person who enjoyed really really enjoyed sex in a way that you know I can really let myself go and really enjoy it and men like that I just let myself go again and around that time I started taking HRT I started taking HRT two years ago because uh, my mother bless her had a terrible menopause and I was I'm 47 and I was 45 when I started taking it I take it. I started to take it as a kind of um, almost like preempting this menopause. Now we all have our own opinion on HRT and estrogel, etc. But for me, it's it's been very mood enhancing, mm. and I had to go. And this is from a point of privilege, but um, I was earning my nice salary at the time. I had to go privately to be prescribed it, um, and my doctor said that it would help with. <laughs> your vaginal wetness with um, your skin uh, with all sorts of things. So I, I started taking it and I felt the benefits of it almost immediately. And I think that also sort of coincided with being single and coincided with like this kind of new sexual feeling of being liberated again. And, and then I came through that kind of performative bit and then I've, I've sort of tapped into this actual, not rediscovery, but proper discovery of what I like Mm. and what satisfies me. I have an excellent selection of vibrators and I have the best orgasms I've ever had in my life. And I have had partners who, I mean, I, I can't orgasm without a vibrator. 
And I think it's something to do, I have the, the coil, which I think is something to do with, I have a very small amount of progesterone in it, and it, I think it affects, I think it affects my clitoris. Sorry, here we go. So let's get straight in. And yeah. so I have, I have to use a vibrator when I'm, when I'm having sex. And recently, and I'm talking about the last six months, I've discovered, discovered, not rediscovered, discovered a, a very satisfying sort of sexual energy that I possess that isn't wholly performative, but is about me. And mm. it's been magical. And I think that has come with age and confidence. I've had a lover who has been incredibly complimentary about my body, who sees the wrinkles on my stomach and embraces them. And I have felt for the first time, truly sort of, oh yeah, adored in a, in a not creepy way. Just and that adoration has allowed me not an objectification way either, but in a, it has allowed me to sort of feel very confident. And I've had, I've had the best sex of my life in the last six months. Hurrah! And unfortunately, my dog chewed my best vibrator this oh, morning. Oh, for Christ's sake! She found it on the floor, and she had a little munch on it, so that's broken. So I need to order it again. And just for everyone's benefit, it's <laughs> Lily Allen's the Womanizer. It is the best best clitoral vibrator it is fantastic i mean if she can tap into the adhd market of (laughs) of sexually frustrated and impulsive shoppers then she's nailed it um i think i think that's that's kind of the thing about adhd and sex is that if you are acting spontaneously and impulsively even if you're with the same partner for a long time Mm. it's what you said about discovering your own pleasure it's not about Mm. your pleasure necessarily when you're young and no until maybe you find the right partner or you find your own kind of needs mm. met. Can I ask as well, How has have you noticed a difference, obviously retrospectively and before your diagnosis, but looking back, have you noticed a difference in your ADHD symptoms since going on HRT? Oh God, that's a really good question because I went on HRT at 45 and I was diagnosed ADHD at 46. Uh, I have no idea actually, but there is a lot of research around it um, Dr. Mo Zohar, who's my psychiatrist, has said that he has a lot of women in midlife because it's a hormonal imbalance. Mm-hmm. I think what happens is, and please don't quote me, I have no, no scientific backup for this, but it's what I've sort of had the conversation with Dr. Uh, Zohar, is that the ADHD symptoms, they're sort of exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're in menopause and you sort of feel everything, you know, that's when people seek a diagnosis, tend to, women tend to mm. seek a diagnosis. Um, but actually, luckily, I went on HRT sort of way before that. It was, and it was really t- as a preventative, having seen my mother go through such a difficult menopause. Because I think looking back on when I went on the pill at like, you know, well, on and off 17 to 25 Ew. or whatever, I mean, it really impacted when I look at my behaviours now. Those were the worst times, apart from when I was like eight to 10, which I know is like a pre, it's a huge hormone surge anyway for, for young girls. But that was that was the worst period when I was on the pill. I was just on another level of all of the main kind of traits that we that we talk about with ADHD. And that's why and I think I'm more level now and wouldn't have noticed it. So my ADHD was picked up incidentally it wasn't like a you know you're at a breaking point and now we need to look at why that is yeah um, and I think it's because I've leveled out and I'm I'm just wondering because I think perimenopause is very much on the horizon for me mm, and I'm mm. yeah embracing <laughs> brace brace grace brace. brace um thank you so 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 much for sharing so generously and um I mean I just think it's a really exciting 
thing that actually with the awareness of ADHD that it does change the way that you mm. date for the better um, and I think that will provide huge hope for anyone who's kind of in the same boat yeah it 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 um it is very helpful and i think having these kind of impulsive instant gratification moments in check a behavior in check it was it's going to serve me for the rest of my life and i at the moment don't want to be in a sort of secure steady whatever that means relationship i do want to go out and explore but i have to be very very careful and so um, I'm very grateful, actually, for this diagnosis, no matter how late it is in my life. And of course, you can look back and think, oh, gosh, if only I'd had it earlier. But um, it's onwards and upwards. We can't have regrets. We just have to move forward. It's true. That's a lovely note to end on. Thank you so much, Stacey. Thank you so much. We now turn to an expert. Today, it's Dr. Mohammed Abdelghani. He is a lead consultant psychiatrist specialising in adult ADHD, both for the NHS and at his private practice, Dyad Medical, in London. When it was first suggested that I might have ADHD, I wanted to find a psychiatrist that had run an NHS service and a private practice, just to make sure that they'd seen the full spectrum of what ADHD can look like in a woman. Dr. Mohammed Abdelghani was one of the first people I spoke to, and his kindness and openness immediately made me think of him for the podcast. I know that he'll offer so many of you such comfort and so I'm so thrilled to have him here today to decipher is it my ADHD when I can't orgasm? So uh, this is one of the points that a lot of patients uh, that we assess in our clinics find it really awkward when we ask about uh, sexual relationships but uh, it's well documented that people with ADHD can have impairment in their sexual life and this is not to do with other parts of the relationship but the sexual act itself and because of multiple reasons but if we look again on ADHD as a disorder that's well known to cause inattention hyperactivity impulsivity to in order to engage fully in sex the person need to reach a certain level of uh, being relaxed and people with ADHD sometimes struggle to be that relaxed also, people with ADHD, their mind wanders a lot to, so they can lose the moment. And this, by definition, can lead them to struggle to reach uh, orgasm. Uh, the other point is they are quite hyperactive, they are restless, so they can distract the uh, their partner, but at the same time they can distract the, themselves and they're quite impulsive too. But it's one of the main reasons because they lose their attention and they lose the moment. So although a lot of patients find it a bit, uh, they, they might have not uh, connected the dots that this might be because of ADHD, but when we explain to them how this might be related to ADHD, a lot of patients who we end up diagnosing with ADHD uh, score high on impairment in terms of uh, in the area of uh, sexual activity yeah thank you so much for joining me and this community of amazing people we'd love it if you could follow is it my ADHD wherever you get your podcast from and now I'd love to hear from you. What other perspectives would you like to see explored in future episodes? Find me on Instagram at isitmyadhd to continue the conversation.